Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com give. Enjoy the message. Man, Timberlake, how are you guys doing tonight? You guys doing okay? Come on, I am so, I don't know about you, I could sit there and watch those all day long. That is so good. I'm actually from Indiana, so seeing somebody, uh, if you ever looked for a stereotype of Indiana, it was that guy, 100%. Uh, man, I got to say from up top, I am so excited to be, uh, that you guys decided to join us. And my name is Robbie, and I have the privilege of uh, working with our student ministries team here at Timberlake Church. And I believe that you picked the best weekend to come and join us because we get to showcase just a little bit of what God is doing in our student ministries here at Timberlake. And uh, I don't know if you know this, there's a, there's a lot more that goes on to Timberlake students than just the weekend. In fact, Uh, This past month, we took over 250 students to middle school and high school summer camps. And uh, yeah, that's crazy. Now, uh, how many of you, you you have kids, you have one, two, three, five, seven Amish families, you guys got kids, like we're... Man, there's a, some of you, you understand this number, 250 kids is a lot of kids. And this only made possible because we had dozens of amazing volunteers who step up, take time out of their week, actually take vacation days uh, to, to serve these students so well. And, and one of the things that came out of camp, which is pretty incredible, is over 50 students made first-time decisions to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Man, if that is not worth celebrating, I don't know what is... And uh, man, we've got, we've got more. We had over 10 students baptized this past weekend. We have uh, uh, dozens and dozens of students who commit to serving. Uh, man, if, if you're a parent, you know how difficult it is to get your parent or your student to even unload the dishwasher, let alone to serve every single weekend, man. And we have dozens of students who are committing to this. God is doing some incredible things here at Timberlake Church in our HSM and our MSM programs. And as much as I want to stand up here and continue to talk about student ministries, man, we've, we believe that God has something unique and specific for each one of you as we continue in our series tonight, No Wasted Days. And the whole idea of this series kind of revolves around this truth that each one of us have a, a limited number amount of time on this earth. And we don't know how long that's going to be or how short that's going to be, but we do know that our days are numbered. In fact, in the book of James chapter uh, four, uh, he writes this, what is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. And this is one of those verses that you look at and you want to highlight with like a black Sharpie in your Bible. You know what I mean? Like you just like don't want to think about that. We don't, we don't want to think about our life coming to a close. And, and what I would encourage you in this series and what I hope this series does for you is rather than running from the inevitable truth that our days are numbered, that we would provide a way and that God would do something in your life to make sure that none of your days go to waste. And one of the ways that we, uh, we push this at Timberlake, and you don't have to be here uh, long for, for you to know this, is we actually have a goal that we give, uh, we give this church that we hope uh, that people uh, walk into because we believe it helps your life uh, have as few days as possible uh, to be wasted. And, and what you hear all the time is this. This is our goal here, is to take 
your next right step. To take your next right step. And it could be, man, just coming to know Jesus or, or being baptized. It could be uh, committing to give or joining a small group or committing to serve on the weekends. That is just our goal. We believe that God has more for you than he wants from you. So we think that the best way to spend your days is to simply find what your next right step is and take that. But as much as we push that, as much as we believe in that, there's, there's a dilemma in our life. And there's things that, that come up that actually refrain us from taking our, our next right step. And this is the dilemma. The dilemma is an unclear path and unexpected pressure. That we want to take a next right step, but often life just happens and, and things step into our way and unclear path is ahead of us or unexpected pressure comes around us and it slows us down. And one of my favorite pastors and communicators, uh, besides you, Pastor Ben, wherever you are, you're number one in our hearts all the time. Uh, but one of my favorite uh, pastors and communicators is a guy named Andy Stanley. And Andy Stanley's written, written? He's written a lot of books. And, and one of the uh, books that I love is called Your Move. And Your Move, he says this. He says, given my past and given my current circumstance, given the goal that I have for my future, what is my next move? In other words, when I'm faced with an unclear path and I'm faced with uh, unexpected pressure around me, there's a question that we are, we are forced to ask. And I believe how we answer this question will, de will determine whether our days here are well spent or whether they have gone to waste. And the question that we've got to hone in on is what do I do next? What do I do next? Because there will be a time in your life, and it's likely already come, and there will be many more, where you're forced to ask and answer this question. And I remember a time when I was in high school, I, uh, I had a buddy named Nick, and Nick invited probably 10 of us over to his house one night. And it was late, we didn't eat dinner, and about 2 a.m. rolled around, and well, we all come to a consensus that we are very hungry. And there's only one place when you need food at 2 a.m. that you can rely on. That is Taco Bell. Someone said it. You are with me, man. Taco Bell claims, man, we are open late so that you can eat great. And, and what, what Taco Bell should be saying is we're open late because there's still time to make one more bad decision in your day. And, and so we all pile together and we say, you know what? We're hitting up Taco Bell. And so we, we, my, my friend Nick says, hey, we can all fit in my car, all 10 of us. It's a Jeep Compass. And so we, we run and we all pile in this car. Maybe you've been there. Has anyone been in a car that's just packed full like sardines before? Yeah, and we all, we all climb inside of his Jeep Compass and we take off 2 a.m. in the middle of a Indiana Country Road and we're, we're cruising to Taco Bell, praise him. And, and we're on our way and all of a sudden, Nick starts slowing down. And I'm thinking, Nick, this is the middle of nowhere. There are no cars around. There's no reason for you to be slowing down at this point. And so we're all looking confused and we say, hey, Nick, Nick, what's going on, man? Why are you slowing down? And, and what he said caught me off guard because he, he framed it like this. He just said, well, I think my car's out of gas. <laughs> said, Nick, you... You think your car's like, it's either out of gas or it isn't. How do, you, how do you think your car might be out of gas? And he says, well, you know, the gas gauge broke a few weeks ago and I thought I'd filled it up recently, but I guess I hadn't. 
And so all of a sudden, the car shuts off and we're cruising down this highway. And you know the scene in Pirates of the Caribbean where all the people on the boat are just kind of like thrusting back and forth, attempting to get the, the boat to move? It's like 10 of us in a Jeep compass trying to get this car down the highway as we're rolling. And eventually it comes to a complete stop. We're about a mile away from Taco Bell, nothing else around. We're in the middle of nowhere, stranded. And in that moment, I remember I looked around and I said, well, well, what do we do next? We're, we're left here. We have nowhere else to go. We don't know what our next move is. So what do we do next? And this happens more often than we care to admit. And sometimes it's minor incident, incidents like your car running out of gas. And other times, it's, other times it's more serious when we have to ask this question. And see, I remember a time when I was in high school and I got a phone call from my doctor's office and they said, hey, Robbie, we got your blood work back. And, uh, and I just want to let you know that we're going to walk, walk, you, uh, walk you through this. But uh, to sum it all up, you have an autoimmune disease called lupus. And, and here's what I knew about lupus at the time was uh, I watched the, how, uh, the show House MD and and lupus was that disease that everybody thought it was, but it never was. <laughs> so that was my understanding of, of this disease that they were telling me. And, and as, as they began to unpack it more and more, I recognized that there was more and more of an unclear path ahead of me. And all of a sudden, this unexpected pressure came around me. And I was forced to ask myself after that conversation, well, what do I do next? And maybe you're here and you, you understand what that's like. You can think of a time when you've, you've had to ask this question. Maybe you walked into this room tonight and you're asking and you're thinking how work has gone stagnant or even worse, maybe work is uh, going downhill. Or maybe your marriage is unfolding in front of you. Maybe your kids are becoming more distant and resistant. And I know this because I have conversations with them every week. And maybe there's been a loss in your life. And I don't know, maybe it's a loss of a loved one, maybe the loss of your joy, maybe even worse, uh, you've lost your hope. And you're forced with the question, what do I do next? And today I wanna look at a character in the Bible. He's actually a king over God's nation. Uh, and, and I believe this man's life was defined by how he asked and answered the question, what do I do next? And, and he's got kind of a strange name, but this is who I want to talk about today, Jehoshaphat. Hey, turn to your neighbor and say, Jehoshaphat. Almost sounds like an insult. <laughs> and God knows he had a rough time in middle school with this name, but who I want to talk to you about is Jehoshaphat. And, and like I said, this man's life was significantly defined by how he answered this question. And we're going to pick the story up in, uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. But before you turn there, I wanna kind of unpack and give you a brief history as what is to hap what's happening up until this point. So actually, uh, a few generations before Jehoshaphat, there was a king named Rehoboam. And Rehoboam actually kind of put uh, the nation of Israel into like almost a civil war to where the nation actually split in half. In fact, we have a map that you can, you can kind of see this on. So right here, this is Israel, and below is the kingdom of Judah. And so the capital Jerusalem here is where uh, Jehoshaphat is now named king. And uh, to the north, uh, he's trying to sort through this kind of, uh, this problem that is now an enemy of a country that used to be uh, together. And over here to the west, on top of it, we have the Philistines, which is a lifelong enemy of Jerusalem. 
And so now Jehoshaphat has uh, a newly been named king of uh, Judah, and he's dealing with the uh, kind of just problems of Israel to the north along with the Philistines to the west. And that is where our story picks up. And so in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, you can follow along here. It says this, after this, this is after uh, Jehoshaphat has become king, the Moabites, the Ammonites, with some of the Meunites came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Now this, this is a bad day because let's look at this map one more time. You can see what's going on here. So now you have Israel who's an enemy, the Philistines who are an enemy. And over here, all to the east, you have the Ammonites, uh, the Moabites, and the Meunites all coming in uh, to Jehoshaphat's uh, uh, territory of Judah. And so now he's got the Philistines and he's got Israel. He's already had two enemies. He's new to running a country, no pressure there. And then he has one, not two, but three new enemies all progressing him at once. And on top of it all, his name's Jehoshaphat. Like he has got a rough day lined up for him. And in this moment, in this moment, Jehoshaphat is forced to ask and answer a question. And it's this, what do I do next? What do I do next? And as king over, over God's nation, man, he, he probably has a lot of ideas in this moment. He could probably call the people together and he can, he can put up with strategy. He can come up with a, a battle plan and how the, the war is gonna go. He can even come up with a solution maybe for them to retreat and outrun their enemies, but they're coming in on all sides. And what Jehoshaphat does is, is remarkable. And what I wanna do is I wanna hone in on his response to this situation when there's an unclear path ahead and unexpected pressure coming in at him. I wanna look at what Jehoshaphat's response is. So it says this, alarmed, understatement of the year. <laughs> alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord and proclaimed a fast for all of Judah. And so what Jehoshaphat does in this moment is he doesn't come together and say, here, look what we're gonna do, everyone. We're gonna get together and uh, I'm gonna give everyone a sword and we're gonna figure out how we're gonna win this war. Hey, we're gonna get everyone together and we're gonna figure out how to outrun or we're gonna put a strategy together. He didn't do any of that. He got everyone together and he said, you know what we're gonna do? We're simply going to ask God for help. Um, we're going to come together and we're gonna pray. And this sounds like counterintuitive. It sounds easy. It actually sounds maybe even over-spiritual. But this is what he does. He comes together and he gets all of his people in a room. And he says, what we're gonna do is we're gonna pray and we're gonna fast and we're gonna ask God for help in this moment. And, he, and Jehoshaphat begins to pray this long prayer. And at the very end, he sums up his entire prayer in one sentence. And it's the sentence that I wanna look at today and what he prays is incredibly powerful. He says this, he says, for we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. In other words, God, we, we, can't, we can't win this battle. We can't outrun them. We can't outwar them. We can't run far enough away. We can't retreat. There is nothing that we can do in this moment that can save us. And he admits that. And then what he says next is so powerful. Catch this. He says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And this is the sentence that we're gonna focus in on today, is the simple prayer that Jehoshaphat closed with. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. 
God, I don't know how to deal with my friend that's ignoring me. God, I don't know how to deal with my marriage falling apart. God, I don't know how to deal with this this person at work or how to fix this problem in my life. God, I don't know how to get my grades up. God, I don't know how uh, to overcome this addiction. God, I'm outnumbered. God, I'm alone. God, I don't know what to do. And maybe you've felt this kind of pressure before. And what I wanna look at real briefly But I think if you are in the room tonight and you feel as though there is an unclear path ahead of you and there's unexpected pressure coming on you, that we can look at Jehoshaphat's prayer and how he responds to this question. And I think it'll it'll change the way you pray under the pressure. And so these are four things that I can pick up in Jehoshaphat's uh, response to praying under the pressure. The first one is this, is he goes to God immediately. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but when something comes at me and there's a problem, the, the way I am wired, the first thing I do is I've got to come up with a solution. I've got to fix the problem. I'm a fixer. I'm an activator. So the moment that something comes at me, I've got to address it instantly. And that's my first reaction. And maybe somewhere down the list, I'll get to prayer. I'll get to asking God for his opinion. But for right now, I've got to come up with my own solution. And that's not what Jehoshaphat does. Jehoshaphat hears the news. He gets people together and he immediately Number one priority, he goes to God. That's challenging for me. It's the first thing he does for praying under the pressure. The next thing he does is this, is he goes to God publicly. And you know this, when things start unraveling in your life, it's really easy and the tendency is to kind of keep them to yourself. And it's, uh, it's pretty difficult to come up beside somebody and, and ask them to pray with me or pray for a situation in my life. This is exactly what Jehoshaphat does, is he understands uh, exactly what the Bible promises, man. When two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with you. There's something special that takes place when people come together. And Jehoshaphat goes to God publicly with this, uh, with this news. The third thing he does is he goes to God humbly. Man, we see this in the very first sentence he says, God, I don't know what to do. I think so often uh, I get a dilemma in my life and my tendency is to pray, hey God, this is what's happened and this is what I need you to do. I need you to deliver this. I need you to, to uh, you know, provide this. I need this person to hear this from you because if it comes from me, it's not gonna work. So God, I need you to do that. And, and this is that situation. I know you can take it. So please do it this way. Jehoshaphat just simply says, God, I don't know what to do. There's humility in the prayer. And it doesn't end there because the fourth thing that he has is this. He goes to God hopeful. He goes to God hopeful. God, I don't know what to do, but but my eyes are on you. Because you see, even when a situation seems hopeless, I know who I can trust in is hope. And there's hope for me when I put my trust in the one who provides, who is faithful and who is good. So in his prayer, yeah, there's a dilemma, but God, my eyes are on you. There's hope when he prays. And see, this is important in in our lives because this is kind of how life goes. You see on this side of your life over here, you have your family. And for a while, things were going pretty well on this side of your life. Things were smooth. And, but now maybe some things have taken some changes and and your spouses and you are fighting, your, your, uh, your, your kids are growing distant. There's arguments anytime. Your home used to be a safe place, but now there's just all this tension and all this kind of uh, just negative feeling when you enter into your home. And this, this part of your life, man, you're feeling the pressure at home. You're feeling 
feeling the pressure in your family and this is kind of happening on this side of your life. And then over here, you come to work and work, you've made things were going well, but now they're kind of in a downward spiral and things aren't, you aren't where you wanted to be at the time you wanted to be there. And there's, there's more and more coworkers causing problems and man, you thought you'd get that promotion, but you didn't. So there's pressure over here on this side of your life. And then back here, man, you've got kind of, man, you said yes to Jesus and you've committed to your life to him, but man, there's some old habits and some old people and there's some old things in your life that are kind of creeping their way back in. And you said no to the addiction. You said no to the habit. You said yes to God ahead of you. But man, this, there's still pressure and there's still this kind of thing creeping up in your life. And then ahead of you, you're unsure about the future. You don't know what the future holds. And you've heard some news and some unexpected turns have come. And, and now you're trying to, man, if I'm not going to be there where I said I had this goal, but am I going to arrive there? And you're feeling the pressure because the, to- the clock is ticking. And it doesn't matter which side you turn to, no matter which direction you run, you feel the pressure all around you. And so what Jehoshaphat does is he sees the pressure on every single side and he doesn't say, I'm going to focus in over here or I'm going to focus in and try to solve this. But instead he looks up and says, God, here's the reality is that there's so many things coming in around me. I can't do it. And so I'm looking to you and I'm saying, I don't know what to do, but I'm asking you, the only one who can come in the middle of my mess and provide a miracle, the only one who can come down and provide a way out and and give me an escape. God, I don't know what to do, but my hope is in you. And for that, I say, I look to you, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. And this is a hard thing because the, our response is to look at the pressure around us from every side and try to solve it. And see, I remember a time when about a year ago, Savannah and I, uh, we were, we've been married for three, uh, three months at this point. And we're in, uh, we're in West Palm Beach, Florida, and we just started this new job and things were going really well. Uh, man, the church was growing, our student program was, was blowing up. Things were, were, were great. But on the side, I mean, we're, we're recently married, so we're still trying to figure that out. And recently married, so we have no money in our bank account, and we're still trying to navigate that. And I'm coming, and I'm trying to like lead this relationship and try to figure out a way to, um, to make this marriage the best it can be. And then I remember we showed up to work one day. And when we showed up, uh, one, of our, uh, one of our supervisors said, hey, you know what, we need to, we need to have a meeting at the end of the day. And so he called us in and he said, um, he said, hey, look, you guys are incredible. What you're doing is amazing. But unfortunately, um, our church is gonna go in a different direction right now. And so um, this is officially gonna be your last day. And uh, I remember walking out of that building and Savannah and I really, we didn't say a word to each other. And we packed up our stuff, we got in the car and we drove home to our tiny apartment. And uh, I remember the car ride was silent. We walked in the door and we set our stuff down at the door. And I tried, I tried to find words to bring hope. And, and I didn't know what to do. So I walked over a few feet and sat down on the couch and Savannah came and she sat next to me. And in that moment, I felt every area of my life just kind of pressuring in on all sides, no matter where I looked. It was, man, I'm trying to manage a brand new marriage and, and I'm trying to figure out the finances, but I don't even know how this is gonna work. And, and man, all my friends and community are kind of, are, are, are gonna leave. And I grabbed her hand on the couch and uh, 
tried to find the words to pray, and when I couldn't, this story of Jehoshaphat came into my mind. And I'm not great at this, but this is one moment that I feel like we responded, we responded well. I grabbed her hand and I said, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. God, I don't know how we're gonna find victory from this battle. I don't know what the end result's gonna be. You know I'm feeling pressure. You know the path is unclear, but God, my eyes are on you. And I imagine that's how Jehoshaphat felt in this moment when all the sides and all his enemies were caving in. And the story goes on and uh, God actually speaks to his people uh, after this prayer. And he says, hey, what I need you to do is I need you to go to bed. And how many of you know when, when life's hard, man, the last thing you wanna do is sleep. And so he asked his people to go to bed and said, when you wake up in the morning, uh, prepare for battle and go out, but the victory will already, already be won. And so it, they dismiss and they go, they go their separate ways and they wake up in the morning and they all get together and they get ready to go out to battle. And as they're on their way to battle, they begin just having a worship service. They're singing songs of God's victory and his goodness. And, and the Bible says that in that moment when they were worshiping, all of the enemies from each side came in. And when they reached Judah, they couldn't tell who was who. And so they just began fighting each other until when the point when, when Jehoshaphat's army actually went out to the battle, they were already dead. They didn't even have to raise a sword. In fact, uh, the story actually closes with this. This is the last verse that we see. It says, and the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace for his God had given him rest on all sides. Did you catch it? not just rest over here on this side. And he didn't just provide rest from this army on this side. And he didn't provide rest here and just provide rest. No, he provided rest on all sides, every direction. And wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't you want that in your life? to where everywhere you turned, you didn't have to worry because the Lord provided rest for you, not just in one area, but in all of them. See, I remember we, uh, Savannah and I got up from the couch and, uh, and I remember I was worried about the finances. I was worried about work. I was worried about our future and how we're gonna afford this apartment and all this kind of things. And what's so fascinating is I'm not gonna say it got easy in that moment, but over the next few weeks, what we began to see was God provide a victory in our life. I don't know how we came out of an end of an unemployed season with more money in our bank account than we started with. We ended up having more friends than we ever began with. We, uh, man, we felt more connected as a couple and in, in beginning of our relationship. We had some of the best memories and the most fun we've ever had. And eventually that path actually led us here to Timberlake where we call home and we find a great honor in being part of. You see, God didn't provide rest in just one area of our life. He provided it on all sides. And see, I don't know what you walked in tonight with, but I'm hoping the question that you're asking yourself is this, is what side of your life do you currently need rest? And it could be in your family, it could be at work, it could be in finances, it could be in your future, it could be with your spouse or with your kids. And I have no idea. But what I do know is that we have a God that provides a rest in not just one area of your life, but in all areas. 
And whether you're feeling pressure on one side or you're feeling pressure in every direction, there's hope. And so here's what I'd say. I mean, if you're in the room and you're feeling the pressure and you see the unclear path, I challenge you to respond to the question, what do I do next? The same way that Jehoshaphat did. Go to him immediately. Gather people around you. Go to God publicly. Go to, God, go to him with humility, saying, God, simply, I don't know what to do. But go to him knowing you have hope. God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Watch what he does in your life. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook. 